Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast to talk about a subject we really haven't talked much about, even after 500-plus episodes, is my friend Crystal Bowman. Welcome to the podcast, Crystal. Oh, thank you. I'm happy to be here. And I'm going to read an email I got from Crystal in August of 2022. Hello, I've been listening and been grateful for your work. I'm a therapist in Arizona working largely with the LDS population as a mother of six, one who has taught me much about love and acceptance and being about life being done differently. Your work is critical. That's kind to me. I I forgot that was in there. I wasn't trying to give myself a shout out, but I just did. Anyway, back to the... Back to why I'm reading this email, listeners. I recently gave a four-day class at Education Week about talking to our kids about sex from a shame-free, urge-positive approach. The reaction has been overwhelming. So many are reaching out. This is my work. And um, Crystal didn't directly ask to be on the podcast, but I just felt impressed. Let's get Crystal on the podcast because... As a father of six kids and being taught sex education by my own father and then doing our best to teach it to our six kids, I recognize I had very few tools to do this. And I um, wish I had had more training to do this in a, as Crystal talks about, a shame-free, urge-positive approach. So that's going to be the focus of this podcast. And um, I think it applies if you're not a parent yet. You may pick up some things that really help you if you're a local leader. And this topic comes up naturally in our congregations. You may have more tools after listening to Crystal, and especially if you're a parent um, currently teaching your kids about sex education or will be teaching them. I think our joint prayers, what Crystal has to share, will help you. Um, Crystal is a licensed marriage and family therapist, um, lives in Gilbert, Arizona, practices in Mesa. And welcome to the podcast, Crystal. Thank you. Thank you so much. Is that, that uh, was yeah. wonderful. <laughs> Is that okay for an introduction? And Yeah, that's fabulous. Thank you. So, I, um, I did, when I taught at Education Week, I kind of uh, felt an urgency to keep talking, and that takes a lot of courage. Um, and so I appreciate believing that this message needs to get out there. I, um, I feel super strongly about this, and there's a couple reasons why. Obviously, because I'm a mom of six, I, I trying to talk openly with my children, but I went back to school to be a therapist around 40 and my wow. kids were all in school. Yeah. Yeah. Second, second career life, maybe third, fourth. I don't know, but, um, I work at a unique place. It's called Arizona family Institute and it's owned by a man named Dan Oaks. He's a CSAT, which means certified sex addiction therapist. We have a few of them here and um, we have a large LDS population here. And so we do see all sorts of people like anxiety, depression, even grief, just all sorts. But we have kind of a larger population that comes to see us that are LDS and they're dealing with affairs, compulsive compulsivity around their sexual behaviors, compulsivity around their pornography use. And um, the truth is, as we dig and try to get the stories of how they are, where they're at, story after story is revealed that either they weren't given 
information about their sexual development or they were given information that increased shame. And I just can't help but think like, not that we would blame parents for not doing this. And that's why more, I can't help but think what could happen with our next generation if we talk more openly. And, um, and there's a second reason why Richard, I get really, uh, on fire about talking to people about this, um, especially in the LDS community, is there's some researchers, we think this is the world's problem, pornography is the world's problem. There's some research that shows uh, that the number one state of pornography use is Utah. That's really sobering. Um, I do, I do want to say a colleague challenged me on this and says that that's been debunked. However, uh, equally are the highly religious states at the very least. And so this isn't other people that, that are having these um, development of this compulsivity around the use. Um, these are our people if you belong to the LDS church. And so we have to start talking. We have to start talking about sexual development, pornography, attraction, gender. It surprises me. We talk so many other things like what are you going to be when you grow up? What are you going to, you know, and then, and then we avoid this. And so this is why I feel really, really strongly about it. Um, if you don't mind, I, I do want to do two disclaimers because I am a therapist. Is that okay if I just yes, do that? Please. Okay. Um, the first disclaimer is the most common statement a therapist will say is it depends. And that means because as a therapist, so many things are specific to situations and you just don't want people taking your words as that's the way it should be. So I just want to recognize that what I share today, it, it may fit and it may not. And just to take it as education information and roll that way, that would make me feel better. And the second one is that Today, I'm going to first start talking like I did at Education Week, which means that's kind of a different group. That's a group of people who are LDS typically wanting to know what the LDS church says about things. And so I recognize that um, that, that won't be all of your listeners because I listen to your, your, um, your podcast. And so towards the end, I want to talk a little bit more about some application with parents who are wanting to talk to their children about LGBTQ from different stances. So those are my disclaimers. That's great. Um, I'm so glad you're on the podcast. Just listening to you talk makes me more excited about what we're going to hear. <laughs> Thank you. So, um, so I, I wanted to just like, when we, we talked about Richard suggested just going through some of the things that I taught at education week. And so I thought I would, um, there was a lot. You have four days. So what do I share today, right? Um, first of all, I think it's important when parents are thinking about wanting to talk to their children about their sexual development, that we want to shift in the way we look at it. For example, I think historically it was resist and avoid, right? Resist pornography, avoid pornography, resist your, your sexual urges and avoid them. And I'm really wanting to move parents into the space of anticipate it and respond. Like we want to plan and prepare of how we want to have conversations with our kids. And we want our kids to plan and prepare of how they are going to, you're going to be exposed to these things. You're going to have these feelings. How do we want to respond? Another way I say it is like, 
plan, prepare, practice. So we're going to have an idea. We're going to practice it. We're going to get it wrong. We're going to mess this up. But then we have the opportunity to repair. And I feel like parents, if there's like one of the top words that we can practice is repair. If we, we, parents will get it wrong. We model the repair sincerely. And really that teaches our children what they need for their, their whole life that we can repair and ask, say, I'm sorry, and try to reconnect. So it's repair and connection that we're really looking at. Um, so that's the first thing I usually have parents look at is, is let's anticipate and decide how we want to respond. And so that includes wanting our children to anticipate and respond, but also as a parent, I want to anticipate what's going to head my way, what my kids might struggle with, and how do I want to respond? And so then um, I'd say the second thing that I like to start the conversation with is, uh, you know, at Education Week, I put up a picture of a brand new baby. And I talked about how parents have these this vision of who this baby is. And uh, even in the framework of the LDS primary with physical, mental, social, spiritual. So we have an idea of what we would hope our kids might socially be able to develop into spiritually. We want them healthy physically. We, we come up with an idea. And my proposal is we add on the piece of what do you as an adult dream or hope for your child with their sexual development hmm. because we're sexual creatures from, you know, the, in the womb, there's hormones released. We start, we develop it. It's not like our sexual development starts at age eight when a lot of people give us the talk or puberty. Some, I, I have some parents that will say, I wish it would start right when they got married, which <laughs> nobody would get married. Nobody would enter relationships if we didn't have some sort of drive. But I, you know, and that's a complex thing anyways, we, with my heart, with different sexual uh, journeys, but I, I just pause them to consider what they would hope for of their child. Like think about your own development, your own sexual development, how it felt to get into adulthood and get more comfortable and think, what would you want for your child? And if you want that for your child, we can't stay silent or just pop in and out that whole development. And so I will offer up mine. I've done a lot of work here. I really, in all realms of my children, I just, I really want them to be settled in their own skin, have strength and knowing who they are as an individual, following their heart and, and you know, having clarity. And then for me, I have a vision of me as an adult that would include walking beside them and having strength in that space and just modeling that repair again and again. That's, that's how I would start. <laughs> love that. And I love so, this whole idea of um, resisting and avoiding kind of the old way and anticipating and responding. That is complete paradigm shift. And you're, really? adding, and you're adding content around that. It's really helpful. So keep sharing. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Okay, so then, so then we, then I think of this like the talk, right? This the the sex talk, and uh, some people call it birds and bees because it's easier to say. So when parents are talking to children, just from an educational stance, it's so important to use the right language. Um, birds and bees would be a metaphor that a child wouldn't understand at all. I don't even understand birds and bees and why that's what we call it, but we have this this. Uh, 
importance of using the right language. So for example, I'm going to, I'm going to just ask you, Richard, like if I asked you how many words you could come up with for like my arm, let's say just my arm, what, what's some words we might come up with? Limb, Mm -hmm. um, appendage. Those are two. That's a, as far as I can go. (laughs) I think that's what I came up with. I thought maybe, maybe a doctor could give me a couple more, but compare that to like different body parts that we might be uncomfortable talking about to our child and even in our culture and community where if you if you um you know if we were talking about a chest or breast we would come up with so many words because we're uncomfortable that's true and so they're gonna have plenty of people using silly words and being irreverent and using different terminology and metaphors and jokes I think it's important as parents for us to just pause and be sure we want to be an accurate place of information, especially when they're young. And when I, I sometimes will call it the sex talks, like plural with the S, the talks. And the reason I say that is um, it really is an ongoing conversation. I was thinking last night in preparation of coming and talking to you today that the amount of pressure that would be on me as a mother if I just was giving one talk. Like we could list off, we talk about crushes, touching, kissing, um, sexting, there's all these things, even some safety things like uh, maybe even sexual abuse or assault or um, birth control. There's just so much. Can you imagine trying to fit all that in one conversation. That's why we didn't do it. You can't fit it in. And so as a child's language develops, our conversations can develop too. I like to call it a drip system. So we're just like providing little drops of information over time as their ability to understand develops. Their brain grows, their curiosity grows, even their relationships and social situations. And so as your child can digest your words more developed mentally, then then it would make sense that we have different conversations. For example, what I would share with an eight-year-old, if that was the only talk they really ever got from me on these topics, does that help them when they're 16 in the way I want? And so I also like to think, sometimes I'll share with people I work with, think of how we teach a child to read. We start with sounds and then we'd go to the alphabet. And then we put letters together and then we have short words, which become bigger words and sentences. And then we do paragraphs and we end up where they can read a book. We, we just should also think about especially difficult conversations growing in the conversations as the child grows. Yeah. And I, I and I, I would just add one more piece is people ask like, is this, you can talk one-on-one with this drip system, but you can also, if you have siblings, a couple kids, you can talk in larger groups and have different developmental age. I think family home evenings are helpful. The church has some, the LDS church has some recommendations of family home evening outline. Um, I'm, I'm working on putting together some free outlines that I'm going to share later this year just to guide the conversation. Uh, but I think each parent knows themselves and knows their child and can work slowly with that child if they're willing, if they're willing. Let me grab a drink. (laughs) So, 
So I thought it would be helpful just today to talk about for your listeners, just some questions like what, who, when, just to address simple child sexual development. And um, after I go through those, I, I, I want to also provide some information specific to conversations around LGBTQ. So some of these would require attunement of the parent, depending on the child's sexual experience. Um, but I'm going to talk in a general way. And so, uh, first of all, is what? Um, what? Well, if, if a parent is asking me what, what should I talk to, what should I talk about with my kids about their development, their sexual development, I'm like, yay, yay, we're talking about it. If you're curious about what to, it's such a better space than I, than I don't want, I don't want to. And it's okay if you don't want to. I'll talk a little more about that in a minute. But just even being willing to ask, what do I want my child to know about human relationships, their body, sexual development. And I would encourage to not focus on no's only. That will only increase shame. There's a space to talk about guidelines. But if we only do no's, then we don't give them the the rich and full picture. I also would encourage when you choose your words to not use words that are confusing. I think the words chastity can be confusing to children and teens. I remember when I was a teen hearing the word petting (laughs) and I thought, you know, what is this about a dog or something? It was so confusing. So we want to use words that they can actually understand. Um, There are some age guidelines around what to share with children with their development. You can find them online most don't disagree. Um, I don't have time to go into it, but I do think it's important to recognize just like your children, they walk at different ages, they talk at different ages. Guidelines might give you an idea of the progression of the conversations, but it's all about attunement, which may sound scarier than it is. Um, So just a couple ideas of what. We want to name body parts, use the right terms when they're little, uh, an excellent um, an excellent resource is there's a lot of children's books. You can just search online or on Amazon of children's books, My Body, or uh, sex, Sexual Talk, children's books. Make sure they're illustrated children's books for children. And these these have drawings in them, and they, they use anatomically correct language. And so I have some at my house. They're, they're laying around, and I can't even tell you how many questions come up and giggles and conversations just by having a child book um, appropriate for a child. And then if, if someone's really uncomfortable entering these conversations, I suggest to read these books to themselves and really get comfortable just reading it to themselves. And then you can read it out loud. So you're more comfortable with the words and the language because it is uncomfortable at first. And um, then you start reading it to your children or if they're older, lay lay the books around. You'll get questions. Um, So we talk about we talk about what our bodies, what our body is, how it works. We talk about what sex is. We talk about LGBTQ. We talk about what's normal. And and this is really actually this is a good time to point this out. This was a changing game changer for me was um, recognizing that in a religious home, 
we have to deal with paradoxes or dialectics in DBT therapy. We talk about dialectics. And when we talk about what's normal in sexual development, it's important to recognize that you, you kind of hold in one hand or one side your hopes and guidelines for your child, but you hold in the other what, what would be normal for childhood development. And you have to have both. The, the example I sometimes give here is uh, maybe honesty. So on one hand, I want my kids to tell the truth. I want them to be honest. I don't like it when they lie. On the other hand, is it normal for children to lie? <laughs> yes, yes, it's normal for kids. It's normal for adults to lie. <laughs> There's This is a normal part of human experience. So if we just teach the guidelines or if we teach that people are bad if they lie or or we never we never discuss the humanness of lying then we're just going to increase the probability of shame and the compulsivity around lying and i think this layers on our conversations around childhood development and human development around their sexuality i love that <laughs> i really like that i remember one time our kids came home and sort of along this line, they would, they shared a bad word that they heard at school and they had no, they didn't, you know, there was no education on words. So we just said, these are the words we sort of just taught them. We didn't tell them all the words, but we said, you can come to us and tell us any word you want that you're here and you won't get in trouble for that. And we'll explain what that word means. So it was sort of like, it's a little bit like you're saying is, we had a, a list of family standards, but we wanted to provide education in a safe place so that our kids would turn to us first if they heard a word they weren't quite sure what it meant, or if they picked it up and shared it and it was, they didn't even realize it was a quote unquote bad word. So That's I love, I love just the example you're sharing for a safe place. Yeah. Um, we have standards, but we have reality. Yeah. And, and, and so like some of those, those normal things, like, like I'm even thinking of your children with the, with the bad words to take it another step further is, and it would be normal if you had a thought of a bad word one time, True. or you might say it and think, oh, I don't want to say it, or I like saying it. Those were all be part of normal human experiences. So, but we still want to talk about what our family teaches. Um, so here's some normal, I'm just throwing out a bunch. Uh, it would, some normalization here that would increase like it's normal to have thoughts about other people sexual thoughts it's normal to have uh even maybe dreams or ideas i think it's normal to be drawn to other human beings um maybe to look at both boys and girls bodies and be curious i think it's normal to be uncomfortable in your body as it grows and changes through puberty that's really a normal thing I think it's important to tell them it's normal to have areas of your body. If you touch that, it gives pleasure. That's a normal human body experience. And, and maybe even having conversations about um, if you see like a, a naked image or people kissing, this is a really good point. Actually, in a church video, this, this was shared too. So I love that the therapy and the church video when that comes together, the, the, the idea is, when you see an image or a video or a movie or you read a book and you, you can anticipate two feelings to come up, one might be along the lines of maybe I shouldn't be watching this. And the other one might be along the lines of like, I really kind of like watching this. I'm curious. That's normal. 
It doesn't mean you're a bad human. Yeah, just normalizing some of that. So that's kind of some conversation about what. I also think it's important to do the why. Like not just what sex is, but why do people even do that? Um, Or why do you have feelings in your body? And uh, this is kind of an intimate conversation for parents to really think about what you want to do to answer that. Um, I I remember uh, most people say, well, it's to have babies when they're young. They'll say to have babies. And um, we know that the the experience of humans are very different with uh, their sexuality. And so surely it's not that. In fact, I think this is kind of funny. Uh, One of my colleagues here was teaching a group of church leaders about these conversations and how to have them as bishops. And Ask that question. Why, why do people have those urges in their body? And one of the bishops answered, he said, one of the bishops said to have, to procreate, to have babies. And this uh, therapist said, so Bishop, are you telling me the only time you have feelings that uh, of wanting to be intimate with your wife is when you want to make a baby? <laughs> and Oh no, no, that's not it. And so there's other reasons. Um, this is a tricky conversation when you have, um, not the heterosexual experience, uh, but it's still one that's really valid. And and I'll explain it this way. There is research that shows that your sexual drive and the urges are regulated in a normative state, meaning not super compulsive, when there is higher connection in your life. Meaning, If you are single or if you aren't in a position that you want to do anything or feel you're in a committed relationship or wherever you are, if you have increased even non-sexual connection with human beings that are safe in your life, your sexual drives are, are, are felt in more regulatory ways. Does that make sense? Am I using two therapy? No, that makes sense. And just my gut check is that seems like that passes my gut check that's really thoughtful insight now we have to be careful because when you have research like this sometimes people will use it to say to other people well this is what you should do then and that's you know you and i know that's not the place but it is good information for people to know about their own drives and and also if you have a child that's struggling check in and, and build that connection and, and talk about things that aren't just around your worries about the child. So that's an important conversation to have. Um, when we have start young and then also it's never too late to start like anything else with a parent. Uh, it's easier, the younger, it's not as awkward, but it really is never too late with your kids to at least try, I think, to have conversations. And these kind of conversations we have over and over again. I think it's good for parents to be aware that questions will come up. If we just wait for the questions, um, you may not get your voice in as much as you want. I'll, I can I can give some examples of how to get your voice in there in a bit. But if a question comes up by a child, they really are curious at that point. And if you can answer it in a simple, straightforward way, it decreases the anxiety that that was even a question that they shouldn't have asked their parents. If you're like out in public or something and you, and you, and you 
it's not in a good time to have that conversation, then you could say, that's a great question. I want to talk to you when we're alone tonight about it. And then you follow up. That's the key. If you don't follow up, they will find someone to answer that question. Don't you think with your kids, like if they, yeah, about anything for that matter. That is true. Yeah. And so then the last is how, how do we talk to our children? And I think it's with openness. Um, This is, there's some interesting research on this one that I like to share. So the research, this is a no brainer, the beginning. I mean, I don't even know why they do research on this, but (laughs) the research shows that teens get most of their information um, about sexuality from their peers. That's a no brainer. But this is what's curious when I was reading it. These are anonymous response from teenagers. The research shows that the majority of them wanted to hear about it from their parents. Now they act like they don't. (laughs) They'll act like they don't. But that's what that's what the research shows. They want to hear what you have to say. That doesn't mean they'll respond great to it. But it does mean that we can work to get over that uncomfortableness. Wow. Why do you think, why do you think that parents struggle to have these conversations? You don't, I'm just curious your thoughts. Well, I know, and I can only answer for me. I, I didn't have a lot of training. I just had the experience of my dad teaching me the birds and the bees. That's the term we used. Yeah. One day at age whatever, I don't know, I was out um, fertilizing the pumpkin plants because I knew that the female flower and the male flower, the male, if the bee didn't do it, I did it. So I took a paintbrush out. I don't even know how I knew that. I just knew that to grow big pumpkin plants, the female flower had to be fertilized. So my dad saw me doing that and initiated a conversation. It was kind of a one-off conversation, checkbox. And so that's kind of the approach I took into parenting and i'm not sure i did any better than my dad but um i had no training i never listened to and i had no tools to take away shame and recognized a lot of the way you know i probably taught this created shame around the whole Mm -hmm. subject which is one of the gifts you're um and many others are doing i know when Mm -hmm. i hear my daughter talk to our grandkids that are all young she just normalizes these kind of conversations And a drip, drip approach that you're suggesting so that as their questions age up, they're already used to talking to mom and dad about this. And mom Mm -hmm. and dad are used to talking to kids a lot younger than my parents or I ever talked to my kids about any of the stuff. I probably concluded, well, right before they hit puberty is when we're going to have this discussion. It's going to be a one off and then the church can handle the rest of it or maturation at school can handle the rest of it. And I'll be there. But I'm not going to proactively engage in these topics. So that's kind of the world I came from. (laughs) I recognize that we can do a lot better than that. Well, it makes sense. And actually, your dad utilized a tool that's actually really good. And that is there is nature around us. And sometimes the conversation is a way to do that. Um, Certainly at the time, people didn't have a bunch of talks. And there really was a time, I get that a lot, like, why do we have to? I'm fine. Why do we have to have all these talks? And there really was a time where we didn't, we didn't. But if we think about our children growing up with the information that they're getting, not just from their peers, which we got from information from our peers, 
the, the peers nowadays, they're talking a lot more openly, number one, but the information online that it is just getting to our children at a very young age, even before they understand it. And so we have to have these talks. Um, I think I think that a lot of parents, like you said, don't know what to say. Um, and the good news is you don't have to get this right. Um, I think the second thing is it's very awkward. It's very awkward to have these conversations. And that's normal. I want to normalize that for parents. It's awkward and uncomfortable. You don't have to make it weird, <laughs> but you, it is awkward. And um, one of the reasons is I've been thinking about this lately is there's certain conversations that I'm more comfortable having laterally, you know, meaning my peer group, I'm more comfortable speaking to my age group than I would be to my parents or to my children. And so it's, it's a normal thing. Some people believe it's evolutionary that we would want to talk about intimate things more with our peer group than a different generation. Um, Having said that, that's normal. I was thinking that that then provides this like generation gap around this conversations. And so if we have this generation gap, that means kids are talking to kids. You know, when, when these, these, something comes up that they're curious or they don't know about, they're talking to other children. Teens are talking to teens, you know, young adults, young adults. And, and, we, and we talk that way. So that means they're getting information from their peers, of course. And so one of my big, uh, you know, I want to compel parents to tolerate the discomfort. It's your job to tolerate the discomfort in this. Um, and certainly, if we love our children, we can tolerate a lot of things. We can learn to just breathe through it. And I know in my home, I actually just give permission to my kids. Like this, maybe I'll model it. I'll say, hey, if I notice this is uncomfortable, you know, this is a little bit weird probably to talk to mom about. Maybe you're uncomfortable and you totally have permission to laugh. We can laugh through this if it's awkward. But I really feel it's super important for me to share with you, like some things I've learned or some beliefs we have, whatever it is. Um, and then we just keep doing it and they get more comfortable because the bottom line is that if you don't talk to the children or your teens you're just all, all you're doing is removing yourself from the arena you're you're moving your you're removing your voice and then they'll turn to peers or sometimes i call it google gamble whatever is going to come <laughs> up <laughs> google gamble <laughs> that's right. awesome we'll see what shows up um, and and you lose that ability to get your voice in there. One one fear that I have heard from parents, I have a note here. I wanted to make sure I said this is some parents are like, what if I if I talk to them too early or I talk to them too much? Um, will it make them curious? And and maybe, maybe, meaning our curiosity does increase when we're taught when we learn new things. But but consider this. I'm now curious and you're the one talking to me and I know where to ask questions to if I have some more curiosity, right? And, and there is research that shows that it's very similar to conversations around suicide, that it actually decreases the anxiety around it. It, it allows people to be more comfortable with um, coming to the person and talking to them. They're now a safe place to have those conversations. And so I think, I think there's just tremendous strength in being that role of a safe conversation, I, I often think like 
let's say I only understand multiplication problems and I'm sitting in a trigonometry class. Well, all of that math is going to go over my head. I won't understand it at all. I might be wondering what the trigonometry is. And when I have questions, I now know the person teaching the class is a great resource for it. So if they are too young and you're safe talking about it, not too young, but if you're concerned about that, um, first of all, I'll go over their head. And secondly, they're, um, they're not going to, uh, well, you're just a safe place. That's the goal, right? You're just a safe place. So I want to calm those fears. Um, I had this experience myself, by the way. I had my, when I asked, when I heard about the birds and the bees, as you say, the story goes that I remember my sister kind of telling me that I there's there's something about making babies that you don't know about. So I went to my parents, my mom, and she says, let's talk about this later. And it ended up that I wouldn't get out of the car until she told me. And isn't that fitting for what I do now? <laughs> <laughs> she says, I said, that's just disgusting. Don't ever talk about it again. And I slammed the door. And this is so interesting to me, Richard. I have no memory of that second part. I have no memory. I only remember wondering after my sister said that, going to my mom and getting the answer. So I have a personal experience that wow. something was kind of over my head. And I didn't remember until we had the conversation again. And she, she shared again. And I was in a place that I could process it more. Wow. That's interesting. I love the point about curiosity. And that, yeah, you may open the door to curiosity, but you also open the door to having that conversation with the parent by the conversation yeah. in the first place versus the teen or the Google gamble. <laughs> so I love the role of a parent then to just walk with the child on this road. That's terrific. Yeah. And I would be very, it would be very surprising if a parent was the first one to arouse some curiosity in a child, given how we live, um, billboards and, and things we hear, I just would be really surprised um, if that really was the case. I, I guess everyone has a different story. Um, in speaking to, I wanted to take a moment for those who are wanting to know kind of what the LDS Church says about the teachings about sex and LGBTQ. I know you talk about this on your podcast sometimes. And I, I want to say that um, that I shared just some of these for that, for that population. And I recognize that there's some listeners who would want to know that and some listeners who, who do not want that at their resource. And that's totally okay. As a therapist, that's my favorite part. I get to align with whatever values you have and work there. Um, but here's something interesting. I was the, uh, I was, I'm guilty of perpetuating this idea. I remember even just a couple years ago saying that LDS church doesn't, they need to talk about these things. They don't talk about them. And I would just get all riled up. And then when I started preparing information to provide to groups, I was actually really humble. There is a lot of information that is provided and resources. Now, whether or not that fits your values, that's a different question, but they're out there. And so, um, and particularly more the more current ones. But one, one thing I like to share when I, when I do discuss this with larger groups is there's, do you remember there's a parent guide that the church came out with 1985? I don't know wow. if you remember this. I don't. <laughs> no, it, it, it covers all sorts of topics. And 
And then there's chapters according to ages. And so there's this quote in here, and I'm going to read it. And then I want you and I to try to guess the age group that the church was saying in 1985 to talk to your kids. So the quote says, I'm reading this. Let's see. It is important that you teach your children about sexuality. The Lord has given the responsibility for your for the teaching of your children to parents. This is the one area where the children need accurate and morally correct information. So what age what age group would you guess? 12. You- 12. Yeah, I would too. The age group is chapter 4. The age group is 4 years old. Wow. To 11 years old. That's great. That surprised me in 1985. So that that just gives some history that blew my theory out of the park. But I I want to I want to um, if someone's wanting to look, uh, there's a recent manual that is um, help for parents lessons for teaching children sexual intimacy, and the and this is updated uh, approaches with shame free language in some of these uh, approaches. Like for example, sorry. I'm rambling. Let me give you the example. Uh, the first one's called sexual intimacy is sacred and beautiful. That's just not what I grew up with, that, that kind of language. Um, another one tells parents to discuss how experiencing sexual feelings and sexual arousals is normal. Like that is not the, the lessons that I grew up with. So some there's some help there. The LDS Library, I didn't know this, but they have a life help. And they there's some topics like suicide mental health and pornography and it you know when i'm reading it richard i'm i'm like there there have been therapists and mental health specialists that were consulted by the language of some of this you know and perhaps other people have been through the hurt um and that that makes my heart happy the other thing is that um you, i stumbled across the lds youtube channel and there are videos of church leaders and therapists talking about these things. Uh, one of the therapists is our owner here, Dan, and um, openly. So if you're uncomfortable and you are someone who believes the, the, the church and follows it, this is a great space. So you could just show these videos and you see church leaders are generally society present and church leaders using words that you never thought that you would hear out of them. So that's, that's helpful. Um, and, and even the theology of the LDS religion, that God created our bodies, um, heavenly parents, there's bodies, sex is a force for good. Uh, these, these, this theology is kind of unique. A lot of churches don't teach that. And so it's like we believe it, but we don't believe it. Um, and so that's something to consider. But, but I do, I do want to add that to close that piece of just some ideas of where to go that I do really believe that each parent knows themselves and knows their children um, and have their ability to, uh, you know, learn all different sides and teach and guide them and kind of come up with your own curriculum for your family where you prepare what to teach. You keep practicing, you mess it up, you repair, you keep going. Um, I do. I do believe that parents are willing to take the time that they really are the experts in their home. That's great. And listeners will link to the lesson manual that I'm seeing here in our outline the LDS Church Lesson Manual for Teaching Kids About Sexual Intimacy. So we'll link to that in the show notes if you want to check that out that um, Crystal's pointed us to. Okay, thanks. Um, I do want to talk, like I promised, a little bit about talking to your children about LGBTQ um, and the community. And um, 
what I'm specifically talking about is how do I talk to my children? So I'm not talking right now about my child. Um, I believe either either has said they're gay or trans or <clears throat> or I suspect it. I'm not. I'm I'm just talking about general conversations. And um, which this is this is so tender to me. I, I, I hear your podcast and you've walked beside a lot of these stories as a therapist. I have been, um, it's an honor and uh, a privilege to be trusted with stories, um, sometimes to be the first person that they utter words. Um, and so I have, I have so much love for the LGBTQ community. And I have compassion for those especially who are trying to reconcile either their beliefs or their family's beliefs with their experience. And I don't have great answers. I wish I did. I said that when I first met you, I wish I had all the answers, but maybe, maybe not. Then I'd have to share it everywhere. But I, um, I do have tools and, and understanding of how to walk beside someone. And, and that's just a skill that anyone can learn. It's not, um, sometimes we learn it the hard way, uh, like I did. And many of your, your um, guests did and sometimes you can just choose to educate and learn and develop that skill um but as far as a resource there's a website called gay lds crossroads you you i think i even saw some stuff of yours on there so they yeah. they reference you. <laughs> um there's there's a list there and i just want to touch on a couple that i think that would be helpful for families parents to talk to their kids about so if you have a young child i think the first thing would be to teach that every human is unique and beautiful and deserves respect. That's above all that each, each human deserves love and respect and, and the, and the ability to do their life the way that they find joy. And that if you're a religious family, the, the, I, everybody's a child of God should cover that. Um, really, really sharing that. The, the second one is that sometimes people are overwhelmed with young children wondering, what does LGBTQ stand for and what do I say? And um, it's recommended to just say it straightforward. Uh, the, the, the sentence, a simple sentence would be that humans are attracted to other humans, to boys, some to girls, some to both, some to neither. And, and then see if the children ask more. That might be enough to define it. And then as they understand more, you can break it into small parts. And I literally mean education here. Like the L stands for lesbian. That is when a girl is attracted to a girl in a special way, like their girlfriends. Or B stands for bisexual. That means they're attracted to both boys and girls in that way. Or T is an easy one. That's trans. Do you know why it's called trans if you're telling your kids? This is when there's like a girl that is is in a boy's body they feel like and they want to transition to the other gender and they might decide to start that or just start living that way or they're feeling the tension of that so just an educational approach and some parents would be scared that this would um, again introduce things to young and i want to just reiterate we want our voice and we want to be in this conversation Sometimes when you talk to children young about this, they start worrying, what, what am I going to be dad? What am I going to be mom? And um, I think you could just say your feelings are going to grow naturally. Your attraction is going to grow naturally. You don't have to worry about it. The most important thing is that you're going to be exactly who you are and I love you and we're going to walk beside you 
And you may be like mom, who's a girl in a girl's body, who is attracted to dad, who's a boy in a boy's body, but you may not. The important thing is that it will develop. We will walk beside you. We love you. That's like the educational piece. Some families will be more comfortable talking that way than others. I want to just put it out there to get more people comfortable thinking about how they want to do it. But as a parent, you absolutely have the right to, in age-appropriate ways, share what you believe about these things. Share if you believe the way that the church talks about them. You don't. If you don't, you can share that. If you, you, You're absolutely allowed to share it. I think the important thing is to lay down the foundation of love, acceptance, priming your child's experience so that they know you're a source of information and love and guidance. That was a terrific segment. No one's done a segment like that. I'm Crystal on the podcast, and I like the way you just normalized um, being straight or being gay or lesbian or trans, and that's just the reality of some people's lives. But you as a parent opening that up with your kids, to me, just is full of future conversations. Um, So if you eventually have a queer kid, that queer kid, I think, is going to talk to mom and dad first about not being straight and other people, because you've sort of normalized this discussion. And I think some parents would be fearful that this is going to open up, uh, it's going to confuse my straight child into being not straight. But I, I like this language you use, your, your attraction will grow naturally. And so you don't need to really worry about this right now. You know, if you're 18, you do, but if you're six, you don't. And, yeah. and so you can just sort of, you know, factually explain this is factual stuff (laughs) um the church factually explains this on its website too so it's not like the church isn't talking about trans gay and lesbian the church is using this language president nelson's used this language in general conference we can use this language in our homes to describe um, people that feel this way and normalize uh, these attractions that doesn't change our doctrine but it um, just opens up the conversation so Um, A lot of parents think, what can I do to create a culture that's safe in my home so my kids come out to me? And what you've suggested is just terrific. And and just saying kind things about everybody makes a culture that mom and dad are safe. And I also love this visual imagery of walk beside you. I love that as a parent. Not be in front or be in back, but there's some magical or powerful visual imagery crystal of i will walk beside you as you're walking this road and isn't that what we want as parents is to be invited to walk beside our kids as they're aging up and and processing things in their mind that they're feel safe enough to process them with us so we can walk beside them but that takes effort on our part to communicate to our kids we're safe and we're willing to have these discussions and and like you point out we don't need to be perfect to do it but i think one of the keys that um I think the younger generation is doing better is normalize these type of discussions at a younger age. So mm-hmm. when you get to the more, I don't know what the right language is, the more where the rubber meets the road discussions and the key discussions, those, the door's still opening to have them. Yeah. Yeah. And it is scary. It is scary. The world is changing so fast and, and uh, our children are getting information before we can even, you know, maybe didn't even think of having conversations. It is scary. Um, I have to, as a parent, um, 
work to ground myself is the best way. That's probably a therapy word, but if in a spiritual way, it would be like remembering who I am and connect to that eternal piece of me um, so that the fear can be replaced with some courage uh, to get it wrong and keep trying. At least I'm in, I'm in the arena that way. At least I'm having some voice in, in these difficult conversations. Talk to parents. You use the word attracted, and that's a word as an adult I understand. Um, so some kids, you know, I'm thinking of eight-year-olds as an example, would naturally, um, an eight-year-old birthday party for a young man is usually going to be um, fellow boys that have the same interests. And a birthday party for a girl, maybe not, would be girls that have the same interests. So maybe that's not true, listeners, but <laughs> at least that's what I visualized in my mind. and so. Um, if you're explaining this, I'm wondering how you explain this as somebody who doesn't know yet know the birds and the bees and, and can understand having a boyfriend or a girlfriend because they are their best friend, but there's something different about attraction with a capital A, I guess I'm using and attraction with a lorry, which is just a friend that there's no romantic feeling. They're even pre-puberty. So those, no, those, I'm using the right language, sexual feelings of yeah. attraction. So how do you sort of go down? I think I'm asking a question there. Yeah, um, I hear it. I hear it. I mean, obviously I've been talking to a 16 year old, they understand what sexual attraction is and yeah. a seven year old may not. So talk about for parents that are trying to navigate that. Yeah. Yeah. I think we can get information around that by, I mean, I have a shoe in because I, I hear so many people just different, different stories. So there's some common things about that kind of attraction where even though the stories are different, um, there's, it's, it's just a different feeling in our body. And I think, I think if we, you know, we we're trying to develop emotional language like what anger is or what sadness is we we try to give vocabulary around things that children don't understand yet but feel um we can have conversations attraction is something we feel young meaning it's a different there's different levels of attraction is what i think you're alluding to like i am attracted and drawn to certain people Maybe they are like me. Maybe they are more intelligent. And I, that, that's so attractive. Maybe they're fun. I'm attracted and drawn to them. And that that is a normal experience. You're going to want to be around people that you're attracted to. There's a special kind of attraction that happens and it grows as you grow older and as you develop naturally. It grows as your hormones develop. There's a special kind of attraction. And I, I think... I think we use our bodies with this. Your body's attracted in a special way. It's not just wanting to be with someone. There's actually a feeling of your body wanting to be closer to people that you're attracted to in that way. I, um, it may be, it may make the listeners kind of cringe a little, I don't know, but my, um, or maybe it just makes my son cringe, but I have said to my son, he has a girlfriend. I have said, I talked to him about it. I say, you know, the closer you get, the more your body's going to want to be closer to that person because you're, you have those feelings. That's natural. That's good. That means that you have attraction growing in you. I don't use the word attraction there. I say your body just gets pulled to another human being. Um, 
I think you can make it fun and talk about love stories and talk about when you first had the feelings. I think I was fourth grade when I first had some feelings of, wait, why, why am I really wanting to be around that person? And why am I feeling different? So I think it's just um, the common themes are this something about your body is pulled to another human being in a very unique way. And when you experience it, you know what it is. I love that. And some would then pivot to like mom and dad, you know, that's our story. We were attracted to each other in this sort of way you're describing, and you will feel that probably (laughs) unless, you know, at some point in your life. But I just, I really love this idea of talking about LGBTQ um, the way you did and factual, non-shaming, open, because yeah, kids are talking about this all the time. And if mom and dad are talking about it at home, my real strong feeling is this isn't going to confuse your kids into being LGBTQ. Um, yours, but it will um, create a family pattern and a family culture of being open and honest about tender topics. And they want, I agree with you, they want to hear what mom and dad have to say about this. And if that pattern is established early, then that pattern, I think, is has a better chance of continuing um, into the teenage years. So that's a terrific really powerful principle that I really agree with, Crystal. I'm glad. I'm glad. And again, we get it wrong, right? We try to have these conversations and we get it wrong. You can correct it. I've done that where, you know, I taught you this, but I've actually shifted in how I believe that. I'd like to talk to you about that. That's awesome. Um, I thought if it's all right, I thought I would just share. Please. Yeah. So I interrupted you. (laughs) No, 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 you did not. No, I was just thinking, um, I, I, this LGBTQ conversation is really tender to me and I thought I I would share a little bit why. Um, and so I, you know, most of the deepest, hardest lessons we learn from our own parents and, um, I mean, our own children as parents and, um, I, the tenderness I speak about the LGBT community is from personal experience. I have a son who has given me permission today to talk about this if it was helpful. So if there's anyone listening, it's helpful. We, thank you to my son. Um, and he, his sexuality actually evolved as he grew. When he was a teenager, I found a text that said, I almost came out to my mom today. And I, I've heard many people's experiences with this. My own experience as a mom was I was completely blindsided. I had no idea that my son had any feelings of attraction that he was having um, experiencing as a gay young man. And I was terrified, Richard. I didn't know what to do. Like, I know how to do this for others, but it's my own. And I was terrified. And um, I didn't handle it right. And I want your readers or your listeners to know that, that even with training, even with practice, I, I didn't. I, I forced some conversations that he wasn't ready to have. Um, and I, I don't regret me trying to let him know things like, I want to have this conversation because I need you to know I love you. Um, but I did force it. And it was forced more out of my anxiety and fear than actually trying to reassure <laughs> that. And I'm sure he picked up on it. He uh, later came, he later shared that his feelings, he believes he's bisexual, where he started finding attraction for both genders. And then there was a time he said he was asexual. 
which I want to like, we talked about that attraction earlier and that, that your body will be drawn. I, I, I just want to nod, make a nod in a respectful way that some people don't have that. There are different experiences. So he was asexual and then now he has settled and he feels comfortable at age 19. He says he's pansexual, which for him, he says he's attracted to people he feels safest with regardless of their gender or their orientation. And I actually think that sounds pretty healthy. Like I'm working to try to get people all the time to incorporate safety in their sexual decisions, find safe relationships. So the beginning of our conversation today, we talked about having a vision of a child, what we want them to be physically, mentally, spiritually. And then we even talked about their sexual development. And I think that gives us the motivation to have conversations to try to picture that well-adjusted adult. But I also think it can trip you up. And this is why I want to share it because I got tripped up on that vision. Like I had a rigid vision of what my children should be. If you had asked me, I would tell you I didn't. (laughs) So I wanted to model how I apologize to my son and how I continue to do as we try to repair our relationship. And this is how I explain it to him. I say, you know, from the moment I knew I was expecting you or I found out you were a boy, I started dreaming what that would mean, what my son would be. And and maybe even before that, like when I was a little girl picturing being a mom, I started creating ideas and picturing who you were going to be. And I, I didn't even know I was doing that. I tell him I had no idea, but I started writing a story for you. And so when I saw that text, um, it didn't fit my story. And so I've told him, I am so sorry. I, I thought I knew better that who you were than you knew yourself. And that I thought your friends were bad influences when they were actually the safer place to talk about these things. And that I preached to you and I demanded answers that you had no idea how to answer you were wrestling with. And that my own fears and anxieties showed more than my love. And so I offered then, and I continue to offer what I think is best for you, but I sometimes forget to ask you who you are and what's best for you, what you think. And so I still plan and practice and mess it up. Like I've been talking about Richard and I keep preparing and here's a beautiful piece. And I know everybody hasn't gotten to this point, but I really believe because I was able to own my own conditioning, my own fears, my own mistakes. and just kept trying to love him along the way and make safe conversations. He is so generous (laughs) and so forgiving and so patient with me as I learn. And so my goal has shifted in my home and I just want them to feel connected and feel loved and feel safe. I want to teach them what I hope for them in life, but in the other hand, absolutely hold who they are and who they find they are and where they find joy and how they do that. So I just continue, Richard, to show up and repair and keep going again and again. And I don't have it all figured out, but I, I own that. And, and that has been where we started healing. Wow. I'm really moved by that segment. I just, uh, you know, I've I've this written out in front of me. A lot of what um, Crystal just said, and it's really powerful. 
about your anxiety and your fears. It didn't fit my story. Um, it's just a beautiful moment of grace and parenting. And I love the word repair that here you are, a clinical licensed <laughs> marriage and family therapist, mom with six kids, pretty seasoned, and your humility to offer up repair is, yeah. a, is an example for all of us and t- templates how we should approach parenthood. I love your son. I don't know if you're listening, but <clears throat> you're your willingness to give your mom permission for you to have some of your story shared is helping so many people. You are a fine young man (laughs) with much to offer this world. And I love your mother talking about you. He is very generous with forgiveness and patience. And thank you for who you are and your contributions to our community and being open to your mom about who you are. And I also recognize that you know, my experience is somebody, once they know they're not straight, it takes them a while to kind of sometimes figure out exactly where they are. And so I've learned not to think, well, this is just a phase you've gone from gay to bi to pan. Yeah, this is just you being confused by the world. This is just like you correctly articulated. This is just your good son figuring out exactly who he is. And I love that he's been open with you about where he is. And it always is in exactly the same place. And I love that you've given him grace to figure this out versus forcing him to sort of land at a spot um, is my impression. And that to me is just a beautiful parenting and son's story. So this is, there's some things that our listeners will pick out of this that I didn't pick out that will be really helpful to them. Yeah. Um, I I wonder if I, I know we're, I want to tell you one thing that shifted because I wasn't planning on sharing this, but he came to me around 17 and said, tell, talking to me and I'm questioning him and I'm in my anxious stage. I'm still growing. And he says, what are you so afraid of? And I said, wow. I, don't, I don't know, but I'm terrified. I really am. And I don't know. And he put down, he had a laundry basket. He put it down and he got his face really close to me and he goes, are you afraid that I'm not going to be a good man? Because I am going to be a good man, mom. I'm going to be a good man. And this has carried me. Wow. I believe every one of our, every one of our brothers and sisters are just wanting to be good humans. That's it. It's not so scary when you think of it that way. Wow. I mean, my impression is our, these are some of heavenly or heavenly parents' finest children that are being saved for the last days, and they are Israel. And gathering them is part of gathering Israel, and we need them, and they have unique gifts and and contributions to our community and who they are, and is a good thing. It doesn't change our doctrine or teachings, but it puts everybody on the same moral foundation. I think you've done a good job of being a parent, but I've 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 also thought um we could even as we're talking to as you open that discussion about sexual orientation and gender identity and what they are you might even and i think you i'm not saying you didn't do this but i'm just inviting listeners to consider this and you could say listeners you know if you feel eventually you're bi or gay or trans this is how i will respond if you dis- if you feel that way this is what I will say to you if you tell me that. <laughs> um, I don't, you know, that's just a thought. I don't think it'll make your straight kid come out to you. Um, 
as not straight, but I think it, because they, as you would know, Crystal, and you've talked to a lot of um, probably clients, they, you know, for years, our, our queer youth um, cycle in their minds, how family members would handle this. And your son, even you even found that text because he'd been thinking about it for quite a while. And I, not to say he would have come out earlier, you know, that's his journey. Um, but I think it's just good to, and even a bishop or a local leader could say this, if you come out, this is how I'll respond. And I think it takes the anxiety and the fear and then it creates a feeling you're a safe person. And to use your language, Crystal, that I can walk beside you. Yeah. I want to walk beside you on this journey, but to yeah. do that, you've got to know I'm a safe person and then you've got to feel like it's the time to come out to me. So I'm turning it back to you to continue to share. No, that, that is it. I, I think that's spot on. I, um, I am just really grateful for this opportunity. I, I, you, you may not be able to tell if you knew me, you would it takes great courage for me to speak from this space. Sometimes it gets stuck in my throat. I'm nervous that um, I might say it wrong and not be helpful. And my desire is to just help. But that's, I think, a parallel model for parents that I did it anyways. And, and we just have to keep finding that courage and do our best. And if I got it wrong, I'll apologize ahead of time and repair that. Um, truly. Truly, I think it takes courage to stand and say the things that we know in our heart that we need to say. So I am grateful for you to have that opportunity, and I'm grateful for your work more than you know. I have people in sessions that refer to you as lifesavers, so I really have a lot of respect there. Um, thank you, Crystal. The things we'll link to in the show notes is um, I'll link to Crystal's email. Um, so that will be in the show notes. I'll link to um, her website. I think she has a website. As yeah. I mentioned, I'll link to the church uh, manual about teaching sex education to kids. I'm not sure that's the exact name, but there's a good church manual. Yeah. Um, just some notes I wrote down, listeners. I love the drip system that you've coined in this podcast, Crystal. I love that this doesn't, it, for me, it was a one-time conversation for my kids. So I think my wife did better and kept an ongoing conversation. Um, but I love the drip system. I love the normalizing of having books lying around. That was really, I wrote that down in big capital letters. And and then the ongoing discussions that happened, even some joking ones or some, but if the book is then hidden back in the, there's symbolism about the book being out versus the book now being put back in the hit, most hidden part of the bookshelf so no one can see it. That yes. sends a message to the kids about this topic. But if it's sitting there on the counter, um, this child's book or this whatever age group it is, that's pretty powerful symbolism of the ongoing d conversation that we're going to have in this family. And I don't, I'm not creating shame by hiding the book again or putting it between the mattress or the most shameful thing we could do with the book to just communicate to our kid, this is something that's really shameful. Um, I do love this idea that's come to my mind and it's for you parents that are like me and Crystal, just not perfect as parents and really repair things at times. But I do sometimes think our heavenly parents say, I never expect you to be perfect, but you are the perfect parents for those kids. Mm. And I never, and so I think we as parents need to give ourselves grace. And I think you've done that for you and for listeners, but I think our heavenly parents 
would give us incredible grace, even when we become aware of things we've done that we wish we could do differently. Um, but I think they'd say, I, you've done a really good job and you are the perfect parents for these kids. And they're mm-hmm. you're in your home because of this. And I wanted you to be their parents. And so I think we just need to approach parenthood that way. And I come, your son's tender on my heart. Um, I love that he knows so well who he is. That mm-hmm. at 17, he could look in the eye, holding that laundry basket, and just say, I'm a good man. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that's I, all I really hope. And I hope every queer youth can feel that same way about themselves as a youth um, to take away that internalized shame or the internalized whatever and really come to the conclusion. Because that's, I think, how you you obviously feel that way about your son, and I know our heavenly parents do, and it's it's a credit to him and your family culture that he feels that way. But I think every youth, straight or queer, should feel that way about themselves, because I think that's how our heavenly parents see us. Any last thoughts that come to your mind, Crystal? I'd love you just to share anything else that's come to your mind. Um, I don't have any specific thoughts except for when you say that. I um, I know how hurt how people are hurting, and I want to maybe echo with your voice if anybody's listening and wondering if they are a good human, um, if they're a good man, woman, or human that 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 I believe that if you're listening and trying to learn and grow, I I believe in the goodness in humanity. And I reach out to whoever is needing to hear that, that you are a good person. And regardless of what you've learned about your sexuality, and regardless of the choices that you, you, you can prove to be a good person or just be a good person by not proving just by that heart. So I don't know if that's coming across Richard, but when you say that and, and I picture my son having that knowledge, I just want to scream from the rooftops that the, that the LGBT community are good people and, and that the people struggling with compulsive sexuality are generally really good people. Um, And, and that's what I'm fighting for is to help show that goodness again. Um, I agree with everything. This has been a terrific podcast. I'm so glad you spoke at Education Week. And I hope if you continue to speak there, I hope you do. And I hope more doors open for you um, to speak and share ideas in our faith community because it's really needed. And it's doctrinally sound, um, and it, but it's practical in a sense. It's taking um, tools into our lives to be able to do better in this space. So Crystal Bauman from B-O-W-M-A-N from Arizona. Um, Thank you for being on the podcast. So this is Richard and Crystal signing off another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Thank you.